we're in the book of John. And uh, one thing I have found as I have prepared is that uh, John is known by some as being one of the simplest of the Gospels, which is really was shocking to me. Uh, if you've been here and you've been going through John with us, I think we've seen how John just does a, a marvelous way of exposing complex social issues and confusing doctrines and controversial things just over and over and over again. John brings those things to the surface. And we see in John that Jesus often provokes controversies. He often provokes controversies, and he never shies away from hard discussions. So we see that over and over again. So I don't know why it's called one of the simplest of the Gospels. But we come to chapter 9 today, and we will see addressed one of the hardest things, I think, uh, in life today is that of children born with disabilities. Uh, we'll, we'll see that addressed by, by John and by Jesus. And then we'll see Jesus seemingly provoke a controversy that exposes the Pharisee's sin and perhaps exposes our own sin as well. So uh, Dr. Harry Haney from uh, Gateway Seminary is going to come up and Read John 9. If you don't have a Bible, you can find John 9 on page 522 of the Bibles under the seat in front of you. So, Harry, thank you for reading for us. Please read John 9. John chapter 9. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight 
until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Thank you, Harry. Long passage, so a lot here, um, and we're going to see a blind man and his need, and we're going to see a whole lot of controversy, and then finally we're going to see also that we are blind and see that we have a need as well. But let's start with this blind man. What do we know about this man? We know a few things about him, but we don't know, don't know a whole lot. We know uh, that he's been blind since birth. Uh, we know that he has parents. We, we heard from them already. Um, but yet he's a beggar. So why is he begging? Are his parents not able to care for him, or is there something else? We don't know the answer to that, but we know that he's a beggar. So day after day, this man sits and he begs. So he's not a man with a set uh, schedule. 
with plans, with uh, parent friends, has none of that. He's a man without respect and a man without money. And he wasn't chasing after Jesus like the, the other blind men that we see, for instance, in Matthew chapter 9. No, he's just sitting there day after day after day, just begging. It's a man with absolutely no reason to hope that the circumstances of his life could ever change. And yet, we see this beautiful um, story in verse 1, this beautiful verse where it says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. So Jesus noticed this man. This man was seemingly nothing to offer. was noticed and then met by Jesus. So that should be an encouragement to us that no matter our situation, no matter what it seems like we have to offer, no matter our circumstances, Jesus sees us. So just, just as an aside, uh, this is not the main point of the passage, but I, I think we have to talk about this. I, I would encourage you to follow in Jesus' footsteps and see people with disabilities. Notice them. Have compassion on them. We see here that God has a heart for those who are vulnerable, and we should as well. Beyond that, I think we, we should be grateful that this story is in the Bible, that God isn't silent on the difficult issue of children that are born with disabilities. We know that the Bible contains the very words of God that speak to our pain and speak to our sorrow. Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So friends, we don't have to guess. We're not left in the dark about the meaning of dark times. When tragedy falls on us, it's very easy for us to create our own meaning and try to insert our own understanding into that, that situation, like the disciples do here by asking, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? But during times of pain and sorrow and difficulty, those vertical questions, those questions that we ask of God and direct towards God are, are far more important and far more helpful than just the horizontal questions that we, we ask about the circumstances or we ask of other people. So instead of asking, why me? It's much more helpful for us to ask, where is God in the situation? Where do I see God at work? So praise God that we, we know the answer to questions like the ones that, that the disciples asked, like the ones that we ask. The answer is to pain and sorrow like this. It's a hard truth, but sometimes God allows hard situations in our lives in order to bring glory to himself. Sometimes we don't even know the why to that, but we simply just have to trust God through that. Verse 3, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So of course there are times that our sin has consequences, and sometimes those consequences can last a really, really long time. But see that the explanation for this man's blindness is not a product of past causes. Rather, the explanation for his blindness is bound up in future purposes. So this is tough, tough stuff, but ultimately this is meant to, to be comforting to us as we go through difficult situations, as we, we go through trials and difficulties. So let's look at verses 3 and 4 again and take those, those two verses together and see what they say. Verse 3, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So the works of God that are referred to in verse 3, what does that mean? What are these works of God? Well, it means, in this case, it means that this man was born blind so that the works of God could be displayed, namely the healing of his sight. And those works are about to be done by Jesus. Jesus is going to spit on the grounds, make little mud pies. We'll talk about how weird that is in a second, so we'll address that. So he's going to spit on the ground, make mud pies, put them on the guy's eyes. So those works are done through the hands of Jesus. And taken together, what do these two verses mean? When we look at verse 3 and verse 4 together, what does this mean to us? I think it means that at the very least we have to ask a question. And that question is, what do we do? What do we do with this person, Jesus? Because, listen, he, he talks about the works of God, and then he does the works of God. He says this blindness is meant to shine the light on God, to glorify God, and then Jesus heals him, and the light is shown on Jesus. Friends, this, this means that the works of Jesus are the works of God. That Jesus, right here, is claiming to be God. This is another claim to be God as he performs this miracle. But second, notice that Jesus has to do it now because night is coming. Jesus was always aware of his eternal purpose. He always knew what, what, his, what his end game was, what he was going to be doing in the end, going to the cross. So the works of the day are his ministry of teaching, his ministry of, of personal discipleship, his ministry of, of, of uh, relationship and healing. And the works of the night will be the suffering of Jesus himself, his death on the cross, which will ultimately provide healing for those who are called by his name, those who are his children. So I just bring that up just to remind us that Jesus is a man who knew who he was and he knew his purpose and yet he stopped to notice and have compassion on this blind man. So as we move forward in this story, we see an amazing amount of controversy. And we have to ask the question, why? Why is there so much controversy over this healing? You would think that healing a man born blind would, would cause what? You think that that would cause celebrations, that people would be, there'd be parties in the streets over what Jesus has done. This man was born blind. Well, here's the true source of the controversy. We've already said it. Jesus is showing that his works are the works of God. He's revealing that he's God. And this truth that he's claiming, that he's revealing, causes some to blasphemy, to blaspheme. We see that in verse 24, where the Pharisees call God a sinner. It doesn't get any more sinful than that, to call God a sinner. And it causes another to worship. We see that in verse 38 where this man ultimately worships. So let's look further into this controversy. Now, the common way to think of Jesus is that he's, he's meek or he's gentle uh, or he's your best friend. And those things, of course, are true. But some will take it a step further and say that he's weak or that he never confronts. And we see as we walk through this controversy that that's not true at all. And we'll see it in the next chapter as well. Jesus knows who his sheep are, and he goes after them, and he cares for them, meets their needs. He won't shy away from a battle. He's willing to protect his sheep. So let's read here verses 6 and 7. We see the controversy starting. 
Verse 6, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed, anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Okay, you, we, we've got to admit this. This is really strange, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine being this blind man? Um, I'm not sure I would do that. <laughs> this is my pride speaking. I'm not sure if I was the blind man, would I put somebody's little mud pies that he made with a spit on my eyes? That's really weird, isn't it? This, these are, this is one of those passages that you think, this is just weird Jesus. What do we do with this? Why would Jesus do this? He, he could have uh, just healed with a word, right? He could have said, eyes be opened. Or he could have said, let there be sight. And this man would have, you're supposed to laugh at that. Let there be sight. Um, that could have been something that you know, he could have done to heal this man's eyes, just with a word. And yet he, he does this really strange thing. But Jesus, everything that he does is intentional and with a purpose. So there must be some reason for it. I think that these are the kinds of events that we read in our Bibles that can make us question the Bible, can make us question what, what's going on. It, at, at best, it just makes us gloss over that story, and move on to the next one. At worst, it makes us question whether the Bible is something we can actually trust and whether it's real or not. I mean, the spitting on the ground, making a little uh, mud pack with, with your saliva, that's, that, that's out of our realm of understanding. That doesn't seem like something that the God of the universe would do. Well, there's a couple of cool things that I want us to see here, and I, I wouldn't have known this if I hadn't spent so much time on this passage in the past week or so. Um, but let me share some things that I, I hope will encourage us to trust our Bible and to know that this is true, that these things are really true. There's a purpose for all this. So John uses the word mud five times in just a few verses. Uh, that's kind of an obscure word to use that many times in that short a, amount of time. In fact, that word is only used one other time in the New Testament. So there's something special about that that must be going on. So first, I think we see an echo of creation from the book of Genesis here, don't we? Do you see that? The same God who created can also heal a broken creation. The same God who created with dust, from dust, can also restore from dust. And I don't think that's a coincidence, but that's why he chose to do that. But even more importantly than that, Jesus knew that this was the Sabbath, the day that God had set aside as a day of rest. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, had built up all sorts of added rules around the Sabbath. And one of those rules was that you couldn't knead dough, bread dough. You couldn't knead dough on the Sabbath. That was work to do that, and it's against the law to work on the Sabbath. And good Jews would know that. Good Jews would obey that, and especially good rabbis, as Jesus is described here. Good rabbis would, would not just obey that, that would, they would teach that. That would be something that they would teach. Well, you'll, you'll never guess that the word for dough is the same word as that for mud or clay. So when Jesus spit on the ground and knelt down and made those little mud pies, he was kneading the clay. He was kneading the clay, and he was working on the Sabbath. So he was breaking the law, not God's law. He was breaking the extra uh, rules that the, the Pharisees had. 
So Jesus knows that this is how the Pharisees would view this, and I, I think he was provoking a controversy just to show that he is Lord of the Sabbath, that he is God. He's provoking this controversy to show that there's nothing better to do on the Sabbath than heal a man's eyes. Nothing better to do uh, that, that healing a man's eyes are more important than man-made rules, man-made religion. So the next 30 or so verses are just about the controversy over what Jesus has done. Uh, take a look at your Bible for just a second. John chapter 9. You'll, you'll notice that it's just one story, right? We, we know that. We've already talked about that. It's just one, one long story. But also, look at how few words Jesus speaks. If you, if you flip back a few pages to the left or flip forward, you see if you've got a red-letter Bible, you, you'll see all these words of Jesus in it. So the first seven verses, he heals, and then really the remainder is just the controversy that, that surrounds that, surrounds that healing. And what follows in uh, the last three quarters of this chapter are the, the chaos and consternation that are occurring. And it really occurs around six conversations that are had that reveal and entail this controversy. So as we examine these six conversations, I want you to, to look at and look for this contrasting interplay between this um, blind beggar on his trajectory towards the true Jesus, towards becoming a worshiper, and the Pharisees who are headed towards blasphemy and more and more into hatred of Jesus. So we're going to look at these one by one. First, uh, starting in verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, Nobody is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. So this first conversation, I think, is really just setting the baseline. It's really just setting the baseline of, of where we're at in this. We're establishing that this man really has been born blind from birth, and that this is really an amazing thing. Uh, look at verse 32 just to see that. How, how, I mean, it's amazing to us today. It's amazing to them at that time to see someone who was born blind to be healed. So we're just establishing the baseline. This is really incredible what happened. But also... I think we're establishing where this blind man started out. So look at verse 11. What, what does the blind man call Jesus in verse 11? Just calls him a man. The man, Jesus. That's where he starts in his understanding of Jesus. Let's read verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind, now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. So this, this formerly blind man has been with his neighbors, and now he's brought before the religious leaders. And the Pharisees are puzzled by this sign. Uh, scripture indicates that they're, they're divided over this. 
we see the controversy here brewing even more deeply as it, as it continues on. So some say this man can't be from God because he's breaking our laws. He's breaking our traditions, and he can't be from God because of that. Still others are intrigued by the signs of Jesus. But essentially what's going on here is that the Pharisees know that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He worked on the Sabbath. And so they're, they're acting like little prosecutors. They're going around collecting evidence, trying to construct a case to get rid of Jesus, to persecute him, to, to get him out, to kill him, ultimately. That's their desire. But this is still puzzling to them because Jesus is doing the works of God. So this is confusing to them as well. So as they're on their process of discovery, the Pharisees, we, we see that this man is also on a process of discovery. It seems the Holy Spirit is at work in him. So this time, the beggar responds about Jesus in verse uh, 17. What does he say about Jesus? He's a prophet. So both those are true. Jesus is a man. Jesus is a prophet. But it's like the man is, is you remember the, the game of hot and cold? He's, he's getting warmer on his journey towards the true Jesus. So let's read verses 18 and following. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Now his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So conversation number three is between the Pharisees and, and the parents of this man. So as, as there are today, there were people in the land back then that were, were so-called faith healers. Uh, most of those people were not impressive and can be easily proven to be frauds. But that's what they're trying to do. The Pharisees are trying to understand, is this really a fraud? Is this, was this man really born blind? So they go to the source, the people who were there when this man was, was born. They go to his parents. Because if Jesus really did heal a man born blind, then that would say something about Jesus that the Pharisees didn't want to be said. They would have to do something with that knowledge. So they're trying to prove that this wasn't the case. But notice also in verse 22 that the parents were afraid of the Pharisees, and, and rightfully so, as we see in a little bit. Uh, they, they weren't dummies. They'd been around for a while. They saw the power that the Pharisees had. And they know that the Pharisees aren't afraid of using that power. So I think that part of the reason why the, the parents are in this story for us to see, part of the reason why they're here is just to serve as a contrast. Their fear versus the amazing courage and the amazing faith that this man has that we'll see uh, right now in verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. 
Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. I just think this is brilliant here. Uh, as I got into this and realized this and put myself in this man's shoes, I just got goosebumps just thinking about this. Uh, here's a beggar. Probably no education. No education at all. His knowledge level is at zero. And yet he's taking the Pharisees to school. Is he not? He's taking them behind the woodshed. He's telling them what's up. And they don't like this. They don't like this at all. We can see by their response to him. We'd expect this man to be afraid, wouldn't we? His parents were afraid. Uh, he's been around. He's, he's, his sight has just been healed. But he's been around for a while. He knows what the Pharisees can do. He knows the authority that they wield. He knows that they have the power to cut him off, to, to completely remove him from his community, to kick him out of Judaism. And yet he speaks so boldly to the earthly rulers and authorities. He says, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Can, can you hear the sarcasm in that? I think that's sarcastic. I think he's, he's uh, had enough of them. But do you see the incredibly huge boldness that this guy has? Remember, the Pharisees are trying to build their case against Jesus. They're trying to build their case against Jesus, this guy that was working on the Sabbath. And they're little busybodies. They're acting as little busybodies, trying to, to build evidence, trying to collect enough evidence to get rid of Jesus. Making the mud on the Sabbath was a good enough reason to persecute him. And that's why they asked the beggar a second time. That's why they say a second time, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? They're trying to get the man to talk about the mud again. They're trying to get the man to throw Jesus under the bus, essentially. And he's not going to do it. He's not biting. It's almost as though here he's standing up for Jesus. And he doesn't have to do that, right? He could have done just what the parents did. He didn't have to do that. So please see and understand that this man's personal story is a, is a stunning argument and testimony for Jesus. He's blind and hopeless, and yet Jesus found him, and Jesus healed him. And then he's defending Jesus. He's standing up for Jesus right here. And if you're a believer in Christ, no matter what your testimony is, you have a stunning argument. Your life is a stunning argument for Jesus. You were saved from your sin. You were once an enemy of the holy, almighty, infinite God, and he has made you one of his own. He's made you one of his children. He's made you a friend. 
That's, that's you. And that's this man as well. And this man is starting to understand that right here and right now. So we've talked about this blind man here. Let's switch and let's talk about the Pharisees and what's going on with them. They're unable to respond, or at least to respond well, to this beggar's straightforward testimony. And so what do they, what do they resort to? They resort to personal abuse. We see that in verse 34. And then they cut him off. He's out. So the Pharisees are, are trying to destroy this man's testimony. It's really despicable, actually, what the Pharisees are doing to this man. They claim to be disciples of Moses, but they're really not disciples of Moses. They're really not disciples of God, either. Uh, Look at the words of Jesus from earlier in the book of John. If you'll remember, uh, Jesus was was giving some claims, some testimony of, of his authority, of his divinity, of his, his godhood. And in John chapter 5, he says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? They aren't disciples of Moses, and they're not disciples of God either. We see the fifth conversation, beginning in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. So this man, again, put yourself in his shoes. He's gained his sight. What, What an incredible thing. Blind all of his life, now he can see. But he's lost his community. The Pharisees have cast him out. So can you imagine the joy that he has, but then also everything that he could build his life around, his his whole community, the the thing that gives him life is gone. So where will he go? What will this man do? Well, we see that Jesus sought him when he heard this, and he found him. And that's beautiful, isn't it? That, That is exactly what Jesus does for us spiritually. We were dead. We had no life. We'd been cut out of of our community, any community that would give give life to us. He restores our sight, and then he he makes us a member of a life-giving, eternal community. God, in his love for us, finds us. So, friends, we, we don't find Jesus. We don't seek after him and find him. He seeks after us, and he finds us. And I think it's, it's no mere coincidence that in the, in the very next chapter, we see the story of the good shepherd who goes after his sheep. Our God loves us and cares for us, notices us at all times, even in our times of trouble. He seeks us out, gives us what we need so that we can have life in him, so that we are strengthened in him. So here we see this blind beggar, there's, there's no hope. He has no hope, no reason to have any hope. And yet Jesus sees him, and Jesus heals him. The man first refers to Jesus as a man. Then he refers to Jesus as a prophet. Then he defends Jesus at great cost when he didn't really need to defend Jesus. Then Jesus seeks him, finds him, 
And what does the man do? What do we see that the man does ultimately? He worships Jesus. He worships Jesus because the works of Jesus are the works of God. Because Jesus is the glory of God. And Jesus deserves all worship. So while the the beggar, while he's made his progression towards the true Jesus, the Pharisees, on the other hand, have just gone deeper and deeper into their hatred and their their, um, lack of acknowledgement of of the true Jesus. This final conversation we see beginning in verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So I think it's important for us to see that, that Jesus was having, in verse 39, that was a conversation he was having with the beggar. But it wasn't a conversation that he was having in private. It was for all to hear, and the Pharisees overheard this. So we see here in verse 39 this, this wonderful reversal. Those who see, those who, who claim to be able to see on their own, are really blind to what Jesus says and does. Meanwhile, those who are blind, those who recognize that they have a need, those who are begging and recognize their need to the blind, Jesus displays wonderful compassion and gives spiritual sight. So the Pharisees overhear Jesus saying this, to this man with great faith. And with great pride, they ask if Jesus includes them among the blind. And Jesus could have answered yes, and that would be the end of it. That'd be done with it. But that wouldn't have exposed the real problem. So instead of saying that the Pharisees were more blind than anyone else, he says they claim to see better than anyone else. Remember, they, they claim to know the law. They claim to be the disciples of Moses. So they're claiming to be able to see better than anyone else. Because of their claims, because of their pride and their, their arrogance and ignorance, their guilt remains. So do you see that those who are confident in their ability to see don't ask for sight? There's none so blind as someone who doesn't know that they're actually blind. And perhaps, perhaps you can see that in your own life, looking back at where you were before you became a follower of Christ, you can see that that was true of you, that you were really blind and you didn't know it. Or perhaps there's somebody here today who doesn't know Christ and God is revealing that to you right here at this moment. There's great irony here of a formerly blind man revealing the long-term blindness of the Pharisees. It's really stunning when you think about it. While the Pharisees point to Moses and worship the law, the blind beggar sees the Messiah that Moses points towards. While the Pharisees bully and verbally abuse the man and then cast him out of the community, Jesus meets this man with words of life and welcomes him into a new community, an eternal community. So I wonder today, who in this story do you relate the most to? Do you relate the most to the Pharisees who are caught up in themselves, thinking that their deeds are what makes them right or what makes them important? The Pharisees think that they're the righteous ones and they stand in judgment of everyone else 
And is that you? Are you doing that? Do you stand in judgment of other people? Do you only notice the blind beggars in your life? Do you only notice them so that you can feel superior to them? Or further, are you like the Pharisees in another way? They were confused by Jesus' actions. But let's not forget that, that they were busy looking for the works of God. Perhaps you're spiritual in that way yourself. You're looking for spiritual things. The Pharisees thought the works of God would look like rules being followed. And then they were surprised by Jesus. But what do you think it looks like? What do you think the works of God look like? Does that, do the works of God look like to you a perfect life? Everything going smoothly? Kids that obey, good grades, good marriage, relationship, good friends? This event of Jesus meeting a man born blind so that the works of God can be displayed. Does that event turn your, your image of the works of God, your image of God on its head? Maybe you relate to the parents who are fearful of sharing a wonderful story of restoration. They're afraid of the consequences, and so they didn't share with the Pharisees what actually happened. Maybe you've seen and experienced the works of God, but you keep that to yourself. You're afraid of the consequences. You're not going to share your story of what Jesus did in your life. You're just going to keep that to yourself. Or do you relate to this blind beggar, the one who had nothing, who had no hope, and yet Jesus saw him and healed him? And then this man couldn't deny what Jesus did for him. The blind beggar sees that Jesus is worth all of the controversy. And so he boldly told his story. And then he worshipped him. So if you're a believer who's here today, a brother and sister in Christ, God has a purpose for your life. Nothing happens to you, whether it's the best of things or whether it's the worst of things, that God doesn't have the intent of being glorified through whatever it is that happened. That the works of God might be displayed in him. And Jesus is the light of the world, who not only gives us spiritual eyes so that we may believe, but also gives us the ability to see those works of God. And friend, if you don't know Jesus, don't miss that Jesus sought out this rejected, blind beggar. He changed that beggar's life. He gave him sight. But he also turned him into a worshiper. And friend, maybe that's why you're here today just to hear this story that God is telling you that he wants to turn you into a worshiper of Jesus. Let's pray.